Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now that, as we have discovered over the last couple of weeks, has a number of meanings. So the last two weeks we've been looking at this statement that, um, that Jesus made, and um, it has uh, uh, a number of meanings. He preached it from the Sermon on the Mount, or in his Sermon on the Mount. Um, the first message that I preached on it two weeks ago, I, I spent a good deal of time uh, detailing the physical state of the crowd, you know, what kind of state they were in and their, their physical relationship to death and to disease and the sorrow that accompanies those kinds of things. Uh, I did that because I, I really wanted to, to uh, position physical suffering and death over against um, spiritual suffering and death in your minds, all right? Uh, because we can relate to the sorrow that we feel when we lose someone uh, to physical death, and we can relate to the sorrow that we feel and the pain that we feel uh, in our own suffering. Uh, but we ought to be able to have that same kind of compassion for others in their spiritual death or their spiritual yeah. suffering, um, the same kind of compassion for their soul. And then last week we focused on mourning over our own sin with godly sorrow that leads to repentance. Um, and when we have godly sorrow like that, we are, our, our love for God is exposed. We are pressed further into righteousness. We are convicted to share our salvation with others. So in terms of Christian mourning, we have looked out at the world at the sin of the world, we have looked in at our own sins. And if I could be completely honest with you, those are the easy messages to preach when it comes to the, this passage, when it comes to mourning. Blessed are those who mourn, for you shall be comforted. They're easy to preach because that, in the Christian context, that, that makes sense. In the gospel context, that makes sense. It makes sense that we should mourn over the sins of the world and that we would find comfort over that in the Great Commission because has not Jesus said that he would build his church? Amen. And has he not commissioned us to go and make disciples of all nations? Amen. So it makes sense that we should mourn their sin and that, and that we would find comfort there And likewise, it makes sense that we should mourn over our own sins as we turn our attention inward Amen. to our own hearts and mourn over our own sins like we did last week because the same merciful and loving God that made a way for the rest of the world, he did the same thing for us. While we were yet sinners, while we were still enemies, God showed his great loving kindness toward us in that Christ died for us. He made a way for us, and, and believe it or not, for the preacher, for the minister of the gospel, blessed are those who mourn, that's the easy messages to preach. When we come to these passages, those are the easy messages to preach. And a lot of preachers, and a lot of Christians, in fact, we will stop right there because it avoids the hard case. No one wants to confront the hard case. Not really. 
because it forces us to ask some questions for which we may not have some immediate answers. It forces us to walk by faith and not by sight. It forces us to trust when things don't necessarily make sense. There is one more direction that we have to look. And today I want us, you know, we've, we've looked out, we've looked in. Today I think it is imperative on us that we look up as we consider the sovereignty of God and the sweetness of comfort. I don't want to over-spiritualize what Jesus was trying to say and the point that he was trying to make. We can do that when we come to the Scripture. We can over-spiritualize the Bible. Did you know that? You know, the Bible has a lot of things to say about spirituality, but it's not an overly spiritual book. There's a lot of practical information and practical application in the Bible. Yes, it absolutely does address spiritual issues and eternal issues, and those are of absolute importance because those are eternal issues. Those are the the big issues, but those aren't all the issues that it addresses. It addresses practical issues. Sometimes the needs that the Scriptures addresses are actual felt needs. Sometimes they're both, like in this passage. I mean, there are eternal issues that Jesus is addressing when he says, blessed are those who mourn, and those are very important. That's why we went there first. But it is undeniable that Jesus is addressing real, immediate, felt, emotional needs of the crowd in front of him, as well as spiritual needs. Just like we talked two weeks ago, uh, people in the crowd in front of him, they were very well acquainted with death, very well acquainted with sorrow, very well acquainted with, with suffering in very immediate and persistent ways, probably much more so than you and I are today. Because they didn't have quite the accoutrements of, of health care and the longevity that we have today. They were very well acquainted with loss. Um, so it would be doing violence to the text, I think, and violence to Jesus' teaching for me or for any preacher for that matter to just skip over the immediate and practical meaning of what he said and just shoot for the straight, shoot straight for the, the spiritual aspects without even acknowledging the pain and physical suffering and physical loss of the crowd and thereby not even acknowledging the pain and physical loss that that we experience. When he said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, he's talking about, as much as he's talking about sin and and eternal issues, he is talking about immediate issues as well. Now, I'm going to tell you, this has been weighing heavily on me for some time, a long time. And there are a number of reasons for that. I'm going to give you two. Um, The first reason is because there are, are many people that have left churches and they've left the faith over how preachers have handled the subject of God's providential role in their suffering. You can, you can read the blogs. You can read the things that preachers, pastors have written. You can read their own stories of how they have been offended to God, how they've been offended at the pastor, how they've been offended at the church. 
So let me clarify what I mean when I say God's providence. Providence is God's purpose for bringing about something or allowing something to happen. So I'm talking about God's intention, not just that he does or that he allows something, but his purpose, his reason for doing or allowing things. So I I know that, that as I approach this subject, that I have to be very, very careful with the words that I use and the things that I say. It would shatter me if I thought or if you thought that I was arrogant or flippant or dismissive about your pain or your loss. People have left the church over that because they felt like their loss was being dismissed by the preacher. Oh, well, you should just you should feel okay about that because God is good. You shouldn't worry about that because God is good. It would devastate me further to think that you thought poorly of God because I represented him poorly. So let me say this before we wade any further into these waters, that if anything I say leaves you confused or put off, please don't stay that way. This is my heart's cry to you. I have to, look, I didn't want to come here to this subject. But I I was, like Paul, I felt compelled. I had to. Don't stay that way. Whatever you do, don't stay that way. I am always available to talk and walk through issues with you. And if for whatever reason you don't feel comfortable coming to me and talking to me, that's a failure on my part that you don't feel comfortable approaching me. If, If you don't feel comfortable approaching me, seek out one of your brothers or sisters here. That whatever you do, don't, don't lay it at, at God's feet. I mean, yeah, lay it at his feet. Don't lay it on him. <laughs> Give it to him. Don't lay it on him. Because I failed at what I'm doing here. The second reason that this is a heavy subject for me is because I'm humble enough to admit that I have my own struggles with this. So I think it probably would be best for me to start right there with my own struggle. I do not want to give you the impression that I have some sort of euphoric transcendence. I've achieved that where that nothing bothers me. Pain still hurts. Suffering still stings. I still grieve over loss. I grieve when those who I love are suffering. I grieve whenever I suffer. It hurts and that bothers me. I get tripped up and it bothers me. I claim healing from the scriptures. I stomp my feet. I cry. I grieve all the things when I suffer. I quote scriptures to God, and He wrote them. Amen. Amen. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. 
I have earned the name Israel, which literally means one who struggles with God. And I know that I'm not alone in that because I know that probably all of you have done similarly as well because you've watched loved ones wither. You've known the pain of loss. You've known it. You've dealt with suffering in your own bodies and you've cried out to God. You have prayed for healing. You've prayed for mercy. You have prayed for deliverance. You have prayed when you didn't know what to pray for or how to pray. You've walked through the scriptures and you say, I know I'm doing everything right. I've stood on every passage that is supposed to be a promise. I've done all this. You've just cried out to God and you said, God, here, I don't know what to do. I just want you to take it. Just, just take it. I don't even know what to pray for. Just, just take it. And at the end of the day, you're still left with it. And it still hurts because it's still there. How am I supposed to find comfort? Here I am weeping. I'm mourning. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And you don't seem to make it any better. Do any of you ever pray like that? Or is that just me? Or, okay, I'll leave it that alone. Before we uh, can begin the work of seeking comfort in God's purpose for our suffering, we must start at one basic thing. He knows, he sees, and he does in ways that we don't. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. And then if that weren't enough to say, he has to give us some, some measurements. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. That is a huge disparity. He sees the end from the beginning. This is the God that sees the, how it's going to end from before it begins. He sees the whole tapestry. And we're looking at one tiny piece of one tiny thread. So anytime that we come to a struggle over our own suffering, our own mourning and grief, and, and I'm not talking about grief over sin now. I'm talking about felt needs, not, not spiritual needs. I mean, certainly there are spiritual aspects to how we deal with this suffering. I mean, we're going to have to call upon all of our joy and all of our hope and all of our faith and all of our trust. We're going to have to draw on all of that. But the struggle I'm talking about, the struggle is, is, the, is the real felt needs. The struggle is the, the pain and the the heartbreak that we deal with, the broken heart over the loss, someone that we care about, the struggle in the body, the sickness, the disability in our bodies, the limitations that we're facing. Anytime we struggle over that, God, I've, I've asked for healing. I've, I've asked for, for a deliverance for you. I'm standing on these promises and I haven't received it. It would do us well. It would do us well for receiving comfort if we start here. 
He sees the whole picture. And I don't. He knows what he's doing. And I don't have all the pieces of the puzzle. He has a plan. And he's working his plan. So we have to come into our suffering with a little bit of humility. And sometimes that's all we get when we come into it. He knows, and we just have to trust. You know what you're doing. There are several, oh gosh, there's so many, but I don't have time to go through all of them. There are several scriptures that affirm that God is in control, the sovereignty of God over so many things, over, over the workings of the world, several scriptures that affirm he is in control and they are easy for us to affirm them. We read them, we affirm them, we rejoice in them and they don't cause us any tension at all. They are just great texts that say that we have a big God who is in control. Texts like Isaiah 46.10 in the last half of verse 9, it says that I am God, there is none like me. And then verse 10 says, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Well, that's a great text. God's in control. He declares what's going to happen before it happens. My purpose is, is what's going to happen. I declare it. I will accomplish all my purpose. We love a God like that, don't we? Well, that's a good God. That's a big God we can trust. How about Job 42, 2? I know that you can do all things, that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Once you set your heart to do it, once you decide to do it, God, your purpose cannot be thwarted. Nothing can get in your way. The devil can't do it. Man can't do it. Calamity can't do it. You can't be derailed. Your purpose can't. We love a big God like that. It is easy to affirm that. There's another good one, Proverbs 19, 21. Many are the plans in the mind of man, but, it's but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. I love that one. Man makes his plans, but God's still in control. Well, we can plan and we can do, we can shuck and jive, we can all the stuff we can want to do, but we can't, we can't get in God's way. God is in control. Here is, here's one that everybody loves. We're going to look at it later. i got to bring it up here. It, it's a bit problematic because a lot of people take it out of context to mean something it doesn't mean. So we, we're, going to have to, we're, going to have to, we're going to have to massage it a little bit later, but it's a good one. It's a good one. Romans 8.28. Everybody knows this text. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. God is in control, and he's working all things for our good. He's working it. It's a big God, and ain't nothing going to hurt us because he's in control. Amen. Hallelujah. We can affirm those texts. We can affirm that. I can stand behind that. I can shout on that. Well, get the tambourine out. Let's just, let's just go to town. 
We don't have any problem with those texts. It fits our picture of God. It fits the picture we've got in our mind. God is strong. He knows what he's doing, especially that last one, especially the one in Romans. God is working for my good. Here's one that's just as good, and it's a sweet one. We love it. Most people like it because it shows how much God is interested in our lives. He's interested in the little things, but it's a little tricky sometimes because people don't really like to read it all the way. Well, they read it all the way through, but they don't want to really want to read it. I mean, they don't want to think about it. They want to think it all the way through. Let me put it that way. Read it, but not think it. They read the words, and it sounds like a very nice sentiment, but they don't think about what it actually means. Matthew 10, 29. This is Jesus talking, so he, he knows what he's talking about. I mean, it's Jesus. He ought to know, right? Matthew 10, 29, Jesus says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father. And then verse 30, But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Well, that sounds great, doesn't it? But what the warm fuzzies? Oh, he cares about the little things. He's so into me. Now think about that, though. Just think about that. What that really means. Let me show you some passages that are just a little bit more difficult. Just a little bit. Let's just say we don't pull the tambourine out for these. Proverbs 16, 33. The lot is cast into the lap, but every decision is from the Lord. Well, that just blows away randomness, doesn't it? And that's not just a one-off text. That's not just the ramblings of the preacher in Proverbs. That's not just, well, here's a wise saying. Because the apostles didn't think that. When it came time to choose the next apostle to replace Judas, in, in Acts chapter 1, verse 26, we see that they cast lots. So they didn't see this as a random thing. A question as big as, as who is going to be the next apostle was being decided by rolling some dice. And they did this in front of the Lord. They rolled some dice and trusted that something as random as the outcome of rolling dice was decided by the Lord. The lot is cast into the lap, but every decision is made by the Lord. What is random? Is there any such a thing? Now stop right there and stand that up against some of the hard things that you're facing. Some of the hard things that you're going through. Anybody got a tambourine? Let me give you another. Isaiah 45 and 7. God says, I form light and darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. 
I am the Lord who does all these things. I make well-being and create calamity. How about this one? Deuteronomy 32 and 39. He says, see now that I, even I, am he. There is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. There is none that can deliver out of my hand. And of course, after his servants were murdered by bandits, his livestock was taken, his children were killed in a freak weather incident, Job very famously said in Job chapter 1, verse 21, The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Those are a little more difficult to handle, aren't they? But they are no less true about our God. And they do no listen to me, listen. They are more difficult for us to, it's a hard pill to swallow. They are no less true about God. And they do absolutely no damage to his character of infinite mercy, of loving kindness, and perfect love. That last one is the most important one. They do no damage to his character of infinite mercy, loving kindness, and perfect love. Because all of this is true. God is ultimately and purposefully in control, even in times of calamity and suffering. He said so. He said so. And God is love, 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Both of those can be true at the same time. Sometimes, though, depending on our circumstances... Where we are in our own suffering or in relation to someone else's suffering, we may find ourselves a bit torn between between these two. What we need to do is find comfort in this tension. Think about it. Do you want everything to be determined by chance? Because either God is control, he's in control of both the good and the calamity, like what Scripture says, or it's random. He just, he just gives you the good, and then randomness happens. And he's, he's over here doing all he can to clean up the mess. Or, or he is, he's working a plan. Isn't it better that God is purposefully in control and not just reacting? Not just cleaning up messes. This, um, I've got, this is very hard work to do in 
in 40 minutes. And I'm seeing faces that I, I'm not sure you're tracking with me. And I'm, even now I'm praying, Holy Spirit, please move. Even if we accept all of that and we're able to rest in all of that, there are still things that we need to remember. A couple of things that will help us to find comfort in weeping and in suffering. Stay with me, okay? Stay with me. Don't check out. <sighs> suffering is not punishment. Okay? For, let me qualify. For the Christian, suffering is not punishment. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Christ bore all of our guilt and all of our shame and all of our punishment on the cross. He did it. There is no more punishment for sin for those who are in Christ Jesus. In a time when you are suffering... That is, when your body is failing or when someone you love is slipping away, you need to be able to cry out to God. You need to be able to go to him for peace and rest and assurance. I need to know that you love me. Comfort. How can you do that when you bear the guilt of sin? How can you do that when you think that he is punishing you for some sin that you have committed? Let me just tell you outright, your cancer is not judgment. Amen. The loss of your child is not judgment. Your divorce is not judgment. You are not being punished. In fact, Scripture gives us almost the opposite view of suffering for the Christian. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So God uses trials of various kinds. That's another way of saying suffering. Amen. He uses that to produce good things in us. Which leads me to the second thing that I know about suffering. And that is that it is ultimately for our good. Here we come back to that text that everybody loves, that big God text who is in control, Romans 8, 28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. Now let me very quickly knock the prosperity gospel legs off of this one right here and say this does not mean that everything that you go through or everything that you lose will be returned back to you or multiplied to you. This does not mean that everything that you go through will have a storybook happy ending. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. We've talked about there being a tension in the scriptures. Um, and this is one of those areas where we can feel this tension. We see God... We see a good God, and that is right. He is a good God who is in control, 
And so we expect only good things to happen. But again, he is far above us in his ways, in his thoughts. And so think about it. It's, it's like with your children when you make them do things like chores or exercises and they see it as a very bad thing. Maybe even suffering the way that some of them carry on about it. Right? But it is a good thing. It is ultimately for their good. They learn valuable skills. They learn perseverance. They learn endurance. They learn good work ethic. And all of those things serve them later in life. So it's good for them. Mowing the yard is good. I hate mowing the yard. I've always hated it. It's hot and sticky. And what good comes from it? There's no reward in mowing the yard. Some kids get paid for it. I never got paid for it. It's hot. So you make your kid mow the yard and there's no reward for it other than maybe he learned obedience. Or maybe he learned to endure, to stick it out. Maybe he learned to labor. And those are good things. But he had to suffer a little while to learn those. And you didn't do it. You weren't trying to be a hateful parent. You were being a responsible, loving parent. You knew that he needed to get this done and, and that it's part of being a kid. It's part of development. It's the loving thing for you to put him through. Right? There are many reasons that our trials and sufferings may be working through, working together for our good. It may be that, that we have to be disciplined. Now, I know you're thinking, but Pastor Jeff, you just said that God doesn't punish us. I did that. I did say that, yes. But understand that discipline and punishment are two very different things. Amen. Punishment is punitive. It's judgment. A wrong has been committed. A guilty verdict has been handed down. And a sentence must be served. Discipline is a loving Guidance and correction from error to keep us on the hard road of righteousness. Amen. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 7 says that it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? It's a loving thing. You know, it has happened that the Lord has blessed people. And they got so wrapped up in the blessing that they lost sight of the blesser. So in order to remind them of the blesser, he had to remove the blessing. And they had to go through some trials to realize and remember that for every good gift, that every good gift does come from God. So sometimes we have to walk through some trials to bring ourselves back onto the right road. And that could be even trials of our health. We get so reliant and even proud in what we can produce on our own. Proud of what we can physically produce, our jobs, our income. And occasionally the Lord has to knock us down and say, you need to lean on me. Amen. You're not trusting in me. You say you trust in me, but you aren't. I know it because I can see in your heart. And now I'm going to have to discipline you. And this is going to hurt, but I love you. And this will bring you closer to me. 
In the end, it will be for your good. Hebrews 12, 11, just a couple verses later, says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Maybe discipline or maybe the the suffering that we're going through is for our own sanctification. You may be going through this time of suffering so that you will become more like Christ. We we need to look no further than the Apostle Paul and his cry for help in 2 Corinthians 12. You remember the thorn that he had in his flesh? 2 Corinthians 12 verses 7 through 10 gives us that example. I won't bother reading it, but suffice it to say that he had a thorn in his flesh. It was given to him by by the Lord to keep him from being conceited. And he cried out to God. He said, three times I cried out to God, but God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you, for in your weakness is my power made perfect. He had an affliction and he cried out three times, but the Lord said, no, when you're weak, then I'm strong. He said, Paul, the weaker your body is, the more you have to rely on me. Jesus, remember what Jesus said? He said, "Uh, I don't do anything apart from the Father. So Paul said, well, well, if that's the case, then, then for Christ's sake, for, for Christ's sake, I, I, just, I will be content with the, the weakness so that he may be the power in me, not me. Amen. In order for Christ to be the power in me, I'm content with the weakness. Amen. Don't you think Paul wept over this? I mean, read, read his letters that he wrote. This guy, my goodness, he had a mission. He wanted to go. He wanted to preach to the nations. He had to go do it. He had a, a, a visit from the risen Savior Christ, the, the glorified Christ, put him on a mission. Amen. It was burning in him to go, and now he's, his body is stricken, and he can't. He's limited, Amen. and he cried out, God, help me. I, I'm trying to do your work, yeah. and the Lord's like, no. When you're weak, that's when I'm strongest in you. And so Paul found comfort in that. Paul was sanctified in that. He had to rely on the strength of God to get him through day to day and not on the strength of his back. Sometimes we get knocked off our feet. We don't realize how much we rely on our own strength until we have our own strength zapped from us. And so we suffer in order that we might be sanctified. And it may be that we suffer for evangelism. You might be suffering for the gospel so that others can see the suffering Savior in you. In 2 Timothy 2.10, Paul said that he endured everything for the sake of others so that they might obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. Church, you don't know who's watching you. You don't know who sees you say in your suffering, even so, God is good to me. You don't know who is touched by you when you reach out in the middle of your own suffering to minister to someone else. Do you realize what kind of a multiplying grace that has when you do that? That's why the widow's mite is such a huge Offering. That's why Jesus commended it so highly, because she gave out of her lack. That has, that's not only to do with money. That's about life. I'm going to use my dad as an example because he's close to me, and, and it's a perfect fit. 
So, so many people have been ministered to by him over the last few years, even though he's blind and bedridden. He'll call up on his phone because that's all he can do. He'll call up and he'll check in and he asks what he can pray about and he offers encouragement. And he's the one stuck in bed. Stricken. In pain. That's a widow's might. That has far more impact on people than if he were up and around like normal. Suffering magnifies Christ within us when we let that light shine. When we do things for others, when we sacrifice for others in the name of Jesus Christ, it is a wonderful thing. We're called to do it. But it is easy for them to miss the Jesus in us and only see us when we're living large. When we're giving out of our abundance. Do you see that? It's easy for them to see just the abundance. But when we decrease, he increases. When we decrease and give generously still, wow, it's hard to see us. Sometimes we suffer so that people can see Christ more clearly. I'm almost done. I have a friend. He's a co-worker. He's been an evangelist all of his life. He's a precious and kind man. He's as old as my dad, probably older actually, but uh, he and his wife have traveled all over the country ministering the gospel. They've been preaching the power of Christ for salvation and for healing and for abundant life. They've been preaching this gospel. But he can't do that much anymore. Because his wife has become very ill and she has to stay, or he has to stay close to home to take care of her. He has watched her wither from a woman of strength and fortitude, and now she's just a frail and delicate frame of skin and bone. He's a very joyful and happy man by nature, um, but you can see it in his eyes the toll that it has taken on him. Not only is he being pulled away from doing the thing that he loves, which is traveling and and preaching, but the one that he loves is being slowly pulled from him. The other day, uh, I was talking to him in the hallway, and and he said to me, Pastor, he calls me Pastor. Uh, He's as old as my dad, and he's been preaching longer than I've been alive. So um, he is both kind and respectful. He said, Pastor, you know, um, and he started to tear up. He said, we're at a, a point where when I get her in bed at night, I don't know if I'm going to see her again when I wake up. Amen. He said, so every time I kiss her goodnight, I'm thinking this could be the last time. But he keeps going. And... Uh, He keeps preaching the same gospel, the same hope, the same message that God is good and he is faithful because God is good and he is faithful and he will never fail. Not today, 
not tomorrow, not when his wife draws her last breath, because he will see her again. And he knows this, and she knows this. He keeps going. And they are both having to lean hard on that blessed hope right now. And one day, one day very soon probably, he will have to cherish that promise without her. He will have to weep, but he will have to rest in the comfort of the promise that God has a plan. Not just for her, but for him too. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. My dad is still suffering, and it just keeps getting worse. I cannot tell you the number of tears I have shed for him over the last 10 years. I cannot tell you how many times I have pounded my fist into my desk or my feet into the floor. I cannot tell you the number of scriptures I have quoted to the Lord and reminded him of his promise. I cannot tell you how much many hours of anguish I have spent. Um, I don't know why. I don't know why. But I do know some of the things that have happened because of his suffering. I know things that have happened for me because of his suffering. I know that if dad hadn't become ill and unable to be in the pulpit, I would not be standing here right now. And I would not be giving you this message about the sovereignty of God and the sweetness of comfort. In God's providence, an inept surgeon who had no business being in an operating room a decade ago operated on my dad and disabled him so severely that it eventually robbed him of his ability to stand in a pulpit and minister the gospel. He got to where he didn't have the strength to stand in this pulpit long enough to get his message out, but he refused to quit, so he started sitting on a stool. And after it got to be too much for him, well, it, to be honest with you, to all of our shame, one of us should have stepped in a long time before it got to that. But uh, he, he came to me and he said, uh, son, you're going to have to do it because I can't. I say this, and I'm not bragging about this. Um, if there's one person in the Bible that I connect to the most is probably Jonah. Amen. Amen. I was an obedient son, so I did it. But in my heart, I was very reluctant because this is a mantle that I never wanted. But oh, the treasure. I can't see myself doing anything else. <laughs> the relationships he's given me, the heart he has given me for you, for his word, 
through my dad's suffering. I weep for my dad, but I'm also very aware of the good that God has wrought through his suffering for me. I have no clue what else. God only knows. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I talked about randomness earlier. Do you want your sickness or your disease or your suffering or your death to be up to random chance? What about the car accident or the school shooting? You want your child's death to be up to random chance? Or do you want to know that those things are in the hands of a loving God who has a plan and a purpose for everything? Who sees the end from the beginning and from whom nothing is hidden? And even though it hurts and even though it doesn't make any sense and even though you don't know why, you can find comfort because some way, somehow, in all of this, God has a plan and he knows what he's doing. None of this was sent to punish you. You are his child and he loves you so very much. And in some way, and somehow, as bad as it is right now, this will serve your ultimate good because he is God and he is good. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Let us pray. God, Father, Lord, I love you, and I thank you, and I just pray right now that in your, in your mercy that you will um, let this word rest on all of us and um, give us grace. Love us right now, Lord love us help us to feel that love and uh, give us the grace to trust in you even in times when we don't understand even in times when um, things don't make sense to trust that you are in control that you have a plan that it is ultimately for our good Help us to love you always. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.